I'm Alan Cornett, and this is the Eat Kentucky Podcast. Kentucky Podcast, where we celebrate Kentucky, its food, and its culture. This is your host, Alan Cornett. You're going to love this episode's guest, but first I'd like to ask you to hit the subscribe button to the podcast and also leave a five-star rating. It helps others find the podcast. I've also recently rolled out a Patreon for those who want to give some extra support to Eat Kentucky. This will give access to bonus content, previews, and premiums. Just go to patreon.com slash eatkentucky. For this episode, I traveled to the town square in Bardstown, Kentucky, and visited Chef Newman Miller at the Harrison Smith House, a 240-year-old structure that now serves as a private event space. You may have seen Chef Miller on season 16 of Top Chef, where the popular show visited Maker's Mark Distillery, where Newman serves as chef at Maker's Star Hill Provisions. Newman was also recently on the SEC Network's True South, when John T. Edge visited Hodgenville, Kentucky. Newman and I discuss his time growing up in Washington County, his first job at Louisville's Brown Hotel, his time in Scotland, and what eventually brought him back to Kentucky. Also, Newman explains the opportunities that exist in Kentucky's growing food and hospitality scene. Plus, we talk about Leahy's Burgers in Hodgenville, Jake's 150 Sausage, and how he tries to carry on the legacy of Hooker and Sparky's Fried Chicken. I also get Newman who goes by Bourbon and Ham on social media, to give me his everyday recommendations for the bourbon chopper. You may even get some hot brown tips for your own kitchen. And there's plenty more. You'll have fun listening to Chef Newman Miller of Star Hill Provisions at Maker's Mark Distillery. Well, I am with Newman Miller. Welcome to Eat Kentucky. Hey, thank you so much. I'm excited uh, excited to be on. Oh, I'm excited to be here. I am in the lovely Harrison Smith house. How old is this place? So we're in the new edition right now. This is built in 1820. Okay, it's a new, uh, so you're seeing if this edition is going to pan out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the original where you came in, uh, 1780, okay. was, nice. the, uh, was the original. We're the oldest stone home <clears throat> in Nelson County. Oh, wow. Um, and I think Nelson County is the second oldest county in the state. So we're, yeah, the cellar. I'll take you down to the cellar later. It's pretty yeah, wild. Yeah, I'd like to see it. So, so what, what famous people have been in New York? Did Daniel Boone come through the... You know what? They, anybody oh, famous sorry. that came through, the, you know, usually Talbot Tavern was right. what served at the time. This sure. was a doctor's office. Okay. This was a personal residence. It was a recruiting center during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, it... Yeah, it's had a pretty varied history, but uh, but it never was a hotel as far as I know. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of the originals. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, I tell you, Bardstown is just a treasure trove of old buildings and historic sites over here. I mean, my old Kentucky home gets all the press, but it's it's sort of the new kid on the block compared yeah. to a lot of the places. Yeah, it really oh, is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's gorgeous. They've done a lot of work over the last couple of years, I think, sort of bringing it back to its glory. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the drama that happens, the Stephen Foster story 
here every summer. It's like the, the original play that helps keep the, you know, my old Kentucky home relevant mm-hmm. within town. And I'd like yeah. to see it again. I saw it years ago when I was a kid, you know, but and it was fun. I remember it being fun, but I'd like to like to see it again. Yeah, they just redid the stage this past year, oh, so cool. it's a little safer now at least. So you grew up in this part of Kentucky, not too far from here, not, not in Nelson County. You're Washington County? Washington County, yeah. So yeah. 15 minutes uh, on a tobacco farm, 15 minutes from Bargetown. Um, yeah, that was, I was born in Lexington. Okay. Until I lived there until we were five, until I was five. Okay, so you're, then, so you're a Lexingtonian by birth. Yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah, well, yeah. fantastic. Originally Lexington and, and loved it. Our parents wanted to get us out to the country. Mm-hmm. So myself, I was five, my brother was three. And uh, we went out to Washington. So, County. did you all have family ties in Washington County? Had one cousin. Uh, my dad had one cousin, who just said, "There's this beautiful farm." Showed it to him once, and they bought it. Yeah. And we moved to the country. So cool. Yeah, that's a great. that's a leap in the dark, right there. Yeah, it was for sure. <laughs> so, is your family originally from Fayette County or from somewhere uh, else? My mom's from Eastern Kentucky. Okay. So she's from Ashland. Okay. Um, and then my dad is from. Uh, he was born in Lebanon. Okay. But then raised in Lexington. Okay, gotcha. So, so, you, yeah. so you had some roots out in, in this area. Yeah, absolutely. Then, Lebanon was the, Marion County was where yeah. that whole group was from. Yeah, which, I actually lived was a little in wilder. Marion County for two years. Did you really? A long time ago. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you about that. I'd love that. <laughs> later <laughs> on. So what, what are your earliest food memories? You're kind of a traditional chef, or at least based in tradition. What are your earliest Kentucky food <clears throat> memories? You know, I, honestly, I probably only had one family member who was a really good Southern cook um, that I knew of. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my great aunt Libby, and she would fry chicken necks and chicken backs. Mm-hmm. She would bake apples in a way that I still don't know how to. How she did it? Bake apples. <laughs> I've, I've tried. Um, she just, you know, she had the spread. Uh, and it's not to say that I didn't have people in the family that made a dish or two, but like a full-on right. like cook. Like you go to the table and there's no way you're going to eat all that stuff. Yeah, that was, that was, you know, Aunt Libby. That's probably my first, you know, sort of memory of it. My mom would like to cook about twice a year. <laughs> but she was a school teacher. Right. You know, she yeah, was, my, she was my the parents full-time. My parents were school teachers. Okay, too, so. yeah. So she was full-time, you know, working all, all that. But she'd make fried chicken once a year and she'd make lasagna. Okay. Once a year, uh, and then my dad would tra- do the traditional rest of it. Washington County lasagna. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> cottage cheese. And, yeah, Kentucky lasagna. It's, I still put cottage cheese in mine if sure. I'm not oh, serving yeah, it that's to what, others. That's what we always had growing up. Yeah, absolutely. So, coming from that background, when did you decide you wanted to pursue culinary arts professionally? You know, I uh, I wrote a letter to culinary school when I was seven. Um, my mom, being a school teacher, made a copy of it, laminated it, laminated the original, kept it, and sent it off. She said, "I mean, I know now that like you probably didn't <laughs> send it off to you know a, a culinary school, but it was some letter about wanting to get a, more information." And um, fast forward twelve days after high school, I started culinary school okay. at Sullivan. So you were ready to go then? Yeah, I mean the day I turned sixteen I started working at a butcher shop, mm-hmm. um, the meat house in in Springfield. And it was an old school traditional really we'd still really cut meat, you know, it wasn't all prepackaged 
uh, like you see right now, you know, mm -hmm. it's, that's the vast majority, aside from like a Red Hog or a Critchfield and, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, that was my, and it's still my favorite job. It was that was that butcher shop job uh, when I was 16. So I don't know. I, I just knew that that's what you wanted to do. It was something that I yeah I, I could I could do and I enjoyed it and you know I like breaking down chickens and yeah. You you ended up going to Sullivan in Louisville. Is that right? I did. Yeah, there were a lot of people who've come out of there. Yeah, I mean they churn them out for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, were you happy with your experience? Yeah, it was yeah. fine. I mean, yeah. you know, it was a bummer that, like, I took a bunch of AP classes in high school and Sullivan wouldn't accept them. Mm -hmm. So where I could have gone to UK and had animal science credits and things like that, right. a, a culinary school doesn't right. accept Right, that's not on it. their radar. And they have, you you know, take culinary math and mm -hmm. things like that. So, I mean, it, it was a bit antiquated, but, you know, it, you get out of it what you put into it. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's definitely done me more good than harm. I think the amount of time that it would have taken to build that sort of, sort of skill set would have been longer than 18 months. Right. So I was basically paying for a, a fast forward. Right. You know? yeah. how, do I, how do I, you know, know what I don't know so I can start working on it and get better. Right. So, so where, did you, where did you go to when you, were, when you were done with Sullivan? Brown Hotel for okay. Joe Castro. So that's what, I knew you had been at the Brown, so you went yeah. right there. Immediately to the Brown right Hotel. There. So that's, that's stepping into the big leagues then. It was one of the two or three places you really, you know, Ceviche's always been hot, Jack Fry's was hot, uh, Silbach or, or the Brown, um, maybe Vincenzo's back then, you know, and, or a country club. And that, mm -hmm. was, that was it yeah. uh, at the moment. Lily's, I can remember a couple more. But, but the Brown was, yeah, one of them. And Chef Joe was arguably as good of a chef as Louisville's had in, you know, as long as I've been around. Um, and so, yeah, I worked for Chef Joe at the English Grill. So you've, so you've done a hot brown or two? I have made a lot of hot browns. <laughs> so do you still like hot browns? Do you like... Yeah, or, on occasion. Or, do you, I mean, or have you had more hot browns than you, than you want? On occasion. I think it's an on occasion food. You know, I think that... Any hot brown too much is well, sure, is I mean, a thing, but I still eat them. I mean, it's, not a it's on thing, our menu now, and okay. so if it's on our menu, I'm definitely going to be eating it and trying it and making sure it's sort of where we want it to be. So, what? How is your hot brown different from the hot brown, the the Brown Hotel's hot brown? Uh, Lexington style. Okay. So very simply, we add country ham. Everything else, the brown. I, I, there's no reason to change something that's done really well. Our turkey is different than theirs. We're getting bone in, whole breast, and roasting them off. And mm -hmm. so turkey is different, but the build is the same, except before, between the bread and the turkey, we add country ham. Okay. Um, I'm pro-country ham, but I'm used to the Lexington style, I guess. Right, and that's the way I grew up eating it, was Lexington style, if I ever did have it. And then going to the brown, I didn't realize the original didn't have country ham. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's just, it's plus one. Yeah. I mean, but other than that, we, we keep it. You never we, go wrong adding ham to something. Nope. <laughs> it, you know, and it, it, it makes it smell like, it gives it that kind of weird, a little bit of a smell when you get the ham warmed up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, but it's just part of the allure of the dish, you know, it's meant to be too much. It's right. like a Monte Cristo or something, <laughs> you know, it's like. Well, I, in my mind, I've always thought of the hot brown as kind of the uh, a perfectly conceived food it's just like everything that you could want is on there but you no know, it, it is a lot 
Yeah, well, mm-hmm. the saving grace of it is the tomatoes. Mm-hmm. The, you know, are the, the roasted tomatoes that we roast ours for 12 hours, sort of dry them out so they taste oh, better, nice. then put them on. But nobody eats the tomatoes. It every, I mean, it's 80% of the tomatoes oh, really? come back and That's it's funny. all adults. Well, I, uh, I eat my tomatoes. Okay, so I'm, good. I'm, I, 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 you know, I want to get my, uh, my healthy portion. Well, it's the in, only acid so. too. Right. Yeah. There's just no acid in the dish. It, that's what it wants more than anything is screaming. Like that's why a little bit of Tabasco on a hot brown is perfect oh, that's because nice it's tip. like the heat is nice, but it's really more about the vinegar. So and, if you're giving somebody at home a tip, on making a good hot brown, what would it be? If we're wanting, to, we're wanting a classic brown or even an, a, a Chef Miller improved. Gosh, um, you know, Texas toast I think is key. Uh, we all only use Texas toast. It's gotta be a little thicker so it doesn't just melt to the bottom of the dish that you're baking it in. Um, crust off so it's a little bit fancier, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I would say always wait till you have leftover roasted turkey. I would, you know, or, or roast it just for that, you yeah. know? I, one of the shortcuts I wouldn't take is buying, you know, sort of a deli turkey. Right. Just wait till you have the turkey around and well, then go hard on the hot brown. Well, you know, after Thanksgiving, you've always got some extra turkey around, so it's a good time. Well, and it's nice because if you make macaroni and cheese, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, sure. just save part of the sauce yeah. away from the noodles. If you know you're going to do it the day after, that's what I, I tend to think about meals days out yeah so i'll save a little bit of that because i mean a good macaroni and cheese sauce is just a mornay right which is what you're basically putting on the the hot brown yeah and so yeah yeah you can think about it ahead of time um but but really it's just baking it long enough Mm -hmm. you know getting it really hot the edges have to be like toast Mm -hmm. uh and 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 putting that tomato in there so people can't take it away one of the few (laughs) tweaks that I like that I won't do because it's not traditional all the time, but I've, green tomato oh, relish right. mm-hmm. huh. is really, really, really good with it because of all the acid. Right. And it, you know, yeah. No, no, I appreciate the tips. We'll, we'll utilize those, uh, <laughs> utilize those at home for sure. So where did you go to then after, after you were at the Brown? Brown Hotel uh, went to Cummins Diesel Engine Company. Okay. Uh, I was the corporate sous chef in Columbus, Indiana. Okay. Um, That's where I met my wife. That's where I worked for a chef who cooked 12 Michelin stars. And I was the private chef for Erwin Miller, um, the father of modern architecture Mm -hmm. for the U.S. So it was a wild two years. I knew the day I started what my last day would be. It was a two-year internship. Okay. And um, so it's just a defined. I know, yeah, exactly. Time, right. You know, we cook. We'd cook at their home three days a week. We would cook for the C-level employees of Cummins uh, three days a week. We'd go to Canada for a month in the summer and cook for the family at their compound. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah was, you get to see a lot of crazy it was, stuff. It was really cool. It was really great. You know, we get to fly on the company plane. And yeah, that'd be quite an experience. It was a great job, and. Yeah. Um, I left that and moved to Scotland. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the about the Scotland. So, how long were you in Scotland? I guess five months total. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't wasn't very long. I would have liked for it to have been longer, but it was a it was a very interesting set of you know scenario that I ended up there and wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be as some things happen, you mm-hmm. know. So, what was your job there? I was going to be the food and beverage manager for a small hotel uh, in a town called Dornoch. 
Uh, it's four hours north of Edinburgh. Oh wow, it's up there. So it's way, yeah, we're about an hour and a half from the top of the, the top of the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a, a closed hotel that we were trying to get reopened and mm-hmm. just, you know, was in different shape than the pictures. <laughs> the pictures <laughs> well, that's from always Indiana. the case. That's yeah. always the case. Yeah. It, it takes going to live there for a little while to figure it out. Well, the, the, uh, I will speak from experience. The first step of, of listing a house is always having a good photographer. So <laughs> that goes for ends as well. Oh, man. It was, it was a lesson for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I was, you know, 21 years old or 22 maybe. And uh-huh. So it was a good adventure. Man, you, you lived a lot of life by the time you were 22. Yeah, I was in a hurry to... Yeah, you know, I still am a little bit, but uh, well, you were, you know, you talk compare that to, say, going to UK, which is a different path. Sure. But you know, most twenty-two-year-olds haven't done all that by the time they hit twenty-two. Yeah, I mean, and that's you know that's part of the was school good or not? You mm-hmm. know, my school for whatever it was, it, yeah, it, it let me get out there and start doing things. And some people, I mean, it's like trade school. That's the way I look right. at it. Like sure. If, if more people would not be uh, from one side judgmental about it and the other side scared to do it. Like, you know, it's just a really big opportunity. Like right now, there are more cook jobs, sous chef, executive chef jobs open in the state of Kentucky than you could imagine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is unreal how underserved the businesses that are currently here are. And so, you know, you can talk about the lawyers and plumbers and electricians kind of get all the play in the tech job, you know, but just the hospitality side of things. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, there's no one to, you know, really work at the majority of these distilleries as they Mm -hmm. sort of venture into the hospitality business outside of the manufacturing business, Mm -hmm. right? They're manufacturers. They make, they make a, a wonderful product, but you know, it's a product. And now with hospitality becoming like the secondary motive of a lot of these distilleries, there's so much room for, you know, people to come in and make, you know, decent wages and, and good, you know, good wages. And you don't have to have gone the traditional route. And yeah. do, do you think that, that bourbon tourism has caused a lot of the growth that sort of outstripped the ability of to staff those positions well i mean kentucky has the least worker participation in the entire country so i mean i'm not you know not political at all i just it, it's just <laughs> a understand. thing that it's it we, we, we have is. the most people on disability the most should be in the workforce but aren't in the workforce population in the country so for whatever reason that is you know that's the that's the problem i mean you know the problem isn't new opportunity i don't think it's hard to look at opportunities but uh it definitely pulls from the sort of smaller spots uh that might be open independently because mm-hmm. but you know a rising tide is gonna is gonna help everybody i think that things like dixon you know all the way to harrodsburg now you've sure, got absolutely urban tourism and you know it's not just like in louisville barge town's getting i think three new hotels right this second you know, up from zero, so it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna triple. It's infinite growth. <laughs> but uh, we gotta have people to, to man it, and they want an authentic, you know? Mm-hmm. It's nothing against, not saying somebody from somewhere else can't come and do it, but 
if we want to be an authentic place. Right. Well, people come to the Bourbon Trail. They come to Kentucky. They come to Bardstown. They go to Harrodsburg. They want to feel like they've been to Kentucky. And it's a, it's a great opportunity that, that Kentuckians have to yeah. step into that. Absolutely. I, I mean, right now, you can get out of high school and start learning the hospitality trade without going to school. Mm-hmm. I mean, at more places outside of a city than I could ever imagine. I mean, you know, with Makers opening a restaurant, with Willett opening a restaurant at a high level, with Bardstown Bourbon Company having their restaurant set up just in Bardstown, with uh, Heaven Hill building a restaurant currently, mm-hmm that I think is lunch and dinner. Um, so is, is that what they're constructing out there right now? Part of it. They're doing a lot. They're yeah. doing tasting rooms, I think. They're doing, everybody's doing everything. Everybody's building rick houses. Everybody's building new tasting rooms because people want more experiences. Well, it, it's interesting how you're seeing a conscious effort for some of these distilleries to go more rural. For example, Bullet <laughs> has just built out in Shelby County. Right. Out, I mean, and you have to intend to go there. Right. You're not going to stumble across it. But they deliberately chose that that spot because they wanted to be out. Well, in their new distilling, uh, Diageo just bought uh, 190, 200 acres in Marion County, oh, okay. where Maker's Mark's located, and Limestone Branch, and maybe the new Deetsville distillery that's opening up, or maybe they're in Nelson. But you know, Diageo's putting, I think, 160 million dollar a distillery in, in Marion County as well. Washington County just got a couple of Michter's uh, Rick Houses, um, which I think are one of the great ways to spread the right. Oh, I think you're right about and that. The wealth and it's like just drop some Rick out, you know. Well, you're you know obviously you're not going to put that in Jefferson County. You're not going to put that in Fayette County. You can't afford to. Right. Uh, but it's nice to see. Places like that, you know, you look at a, at a place like Anderson County. Yep. Uh, Anderson County is not a booming metropolis, but they've got two of the top distilleries in the state there. Well, and it, it kind of goes back to like agriculture roots of, I mean, why everybody's in Kentucky, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they would have been tobacco barns 10 years ago, you know, if they're not right. rickhouses now. And I mean, you know, I think it'd be great if there's a way that it's another agricultural, even if it's liquor. It is an agricultural product, yeah. you know? There's just way too much time and effort, I mean. Well, I had uh, uh, Agriculture <clears throat> Commissioner Ryan Quarles on Eat Kentucky uh, recently, and we talked about uh, bourbon as agriculture and their efforts to encourage different uh, distilleries to use Kentucky-grown corn. And right. there's been, been great strides with that to, to keep a lot of that, that production down to growing the corn in state it helps everybody when that happens. Yeah, and I think a lot of people do. I mean, I think that the general, from what I understand, with the Bardstown distilleries and Marion County and stuff, I mean, a lot of them are getting them from the Ballard. You know, there's one or two farms around here that grow enough, and it's like contracted out ahead of time, and that's mm-hmm. where they're getting their corn at least. I think barley is usually a grown a little up north uh but not always and uh whether you're using wheat or rye if it's rye it's definitely probably coming from further north but but the wheat uh i know that makers are working on strides there 
to get wheat production and specialized wheat production, you know, in the state. So, well, I, it's good to see certainly. And we're talking about authenticity. I mean, if you if you're going to have if Kentucky bourbon is going to be a premium product with the Kentucky in front of the bourbon, which it is, right? You want it to be. It's good if it comes from that soil, and uh, it's and like I said, it, it helps Kentuckians. While we take a brief break, I wanted to tell you about my day job and sometimes nights and weekends. I'm a realtor with Keller Williams Bluegrass Realty. When I'm not eating or posting about food, I help people find the home of their dreams in the Lexington area. If you need to buy or sell your home, please email, text, or call alancornett at kw.com or 859-327-1818. Now let's talk more about food. Let's step back a little bit. I want to want to touch base back in Scotland. So, what what lessons did you did you take from your your time in Scotland? Oh man, um, I learned a lot about uh, Scotch and what not to do around Scotch. That was a, a you, harsh did you, lesson. Did you uh, did you gain an appreciation for Scotch when you were there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it took me leaving to really appreciate it. But while I was there, I tried more than my fair share. And, you know, I think the, the hotel bar that I was staying in had 40 different scotches. And oh, wow. Yeah. I definitely tried them all. Uh, were, was that area an area around distilleries where you were at? It was. I think Glenmorangie was the, the closest to us. Um, but at the time, I'll be perfectly honest, I mean, even growing up in Kentucky, that wasn't... Uh, right, people didn't think about. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I, all my buddy's friends or all my friends' dads worked at distilleries mm -hmm. or Ford. You know, like that was where everybody who, yeah. worked uh, from, you know, Washington County or had a farm. And so it just didn't seem like it was a big deal. Um, it wasn't until we moved, I moved back from Scotland to Chicago that, you know, halfway through living there, I realized like, this is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. It just didn't know, you know, until 07 or 08, that was when it like started, it seems right. like. And it was just Kentucky had this, you know, this sleeping giant. Yeah, it was just a thing that people didn't know they wanted. I mean, the bar scene in Chicago in those years, I think was the best in the United States. I think, you know, New York had the early 2000s for sure and Infinity before that maybe, but like 2008, 2012 with the Violet Hour and sort of the Scofflaw group and all these really, really influential bar programs, they were the ones who said, hey, I wanna come down and pick a barrel. And so they would come pick a barrel. I think Heaven Hill was one of the very, very, very first, I think, you know, that I remember seeing pop up and, you know, they would come back and they were all friends of ours because I was in the industry in Chicago and, uh, you know, they would talk about how they had such a good time, but they wanted more authentic food and drink choices. You know, they mm -hmm. wanted some scratch cooking. Right. And, you know, if you left Louisville or Lexington, there wasn't anything. Like there that. wasn't, you know, there, there's hidden gems, but they didn't know how to find right, them. Sure. Right. When they're yeah. driving to do a barrel pick. And, uh, and it just sort of ate me up. It just absolutely ate me up. Um, and, and so, so that's when you came back here? That's when we came back. My wife said we, she wanted to open a restaurant and uh, we were looking in Washington County and then this house came up for sale. 
And, uh, so this was not a restaurant at all? Before it was. The, okay. For three years before, and I don't know what it was three years before that. I don't know who had to turn it into this exactly. I never asked. I just bought it and <laughs> moved forward, you know, Didn't started changing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we bought this and opened it as the Harrison Smith House. What year was that? 2015. Okay. Um, yeah, 2015 we did that and operated for about two and a half years. Uh, and until it really just ran its course, it wasn't, it was a staffing issue. So if I seem passionate about staffing. That's, it, that's the reason. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we have plenty of business. We still do a, a pretty hearty private dinner business uh, multiple days a week, every week. So, I mean, it's not a, it's not one of those things. It's that we couldn't find people at the level, you know, that we had to promise to be at, you know, right. we're, if we're going to try to be, I always said, you know, if you're going to be the most expensive in town, somebody can't leave hungry and you can't have had bad service, right? You can, I can't do anything about being the most expensive, but I can make sure you're not hungry and that you're, you know, right, yeah. served well. Yeah. So, um, so if somebody wants to eat here now, you, you do private groups, how, how would they do that? Um, what does that look we like? We still have Facebook mm -hmm. uh, up and we have a food and beverage minimum. Um, my wife is the one who handles 100% of that. So it's best if, you, if you're interested in that, you can just go to our Facebook and, okay. and uh, send a message and Rachel will get back to you and sort of talk you through um, what food and beverage minimums are and they, you know. What, I, I what know. sort of groups? All the business size. You what know? sort of groups do you have come through? Most commonly right now, it's bourbon groups. It's guys that are picking barrels uh, mm -hmm. or girls that are picking barrels. It's just whoever is out doing a full day, um, picking it, Four Roses, picking it, Heaven Hill, staying at Talbot Tavern, and you know, there's 10 people and they all want to eat above average, you know? Mm -hmm. they, uh, How long ahead would they have to schedule or contact you all to get in on something like that? Gosh, I, you know, it doesn't sound very professional, but I'm not exactly, you know, well, it, it really no, depends on the day of the week and the, I mean, one of my great friends did it, texted me on Monday night and asked me if I could cook for his birthday on Tuesday. <laughs> I, I made it happen because, yeah. it, ironically enough, it's Donald Blinko, whose family owns music, oh, okay. uh, that builds every Rick house that you see, basically, 90, 95% of the okay. Rick houses. And so when Mr. Blinko wants something. Uh, you make it happen. Hey, right. he, he's a good guy. We go hunting together. Yeah. And so that's my, yeah, he's my so you all So you're open for business. You just got to gotta knock on the door first, figure it Yeah, we'll figure out a couple of logistics. Yeah. And, you know, we go from there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a really fun experience. And you're um, right here on the, on the square. Right on the square. We have two dining rooms that we, uh, we sort of use. You're in the dining room three right now. We can fit up to 30 in here. Uh, so this is sort of the party room that ends up happening. And then uh, one and two on the other side. They're a little, little brighter. Mm -hmm. uh, good for lunches. Well, it's, it's a beautiful old house, an old structure. I, and I love that it's being cared for. And I uh, hope, hope it lasts another couple of hundred years. I do too. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's going to have to. <laughs> so... Talk to me then about your transition from, from this restaurant to being at Makers with, with Star Hill. Yeah, so two and a half years ago, whenever we stopped regular service here at Harrison Smith House, uh, we were actually in the process of running a, a very small cafe 
uh, Toll House Cafe down there. It had 12 seats. Uh, we were selling, you know, some sandwiches, keeping it very simple. Um, when we knew that we were going to need to close the Harrison Smith House, we sort of spoke to them and started to ramp up our production down there. And then we moved into a, a larger space. And then most recently into the space that you, you were in. Right. Um, I was at an event at Maker's Mark uh, end of 2019. Yes. And, uh, and got seen. It's really nice, but it's, under, but it's under renovation right now. It is until March 1st. And then we'll be open again, uh, ready to go. And we're just sort of tweaking the menu a little bit. We're messing with the style of service a little bit. It's fast casual right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're going to keep that for the predominant amount of service. But we definitely want to have some sort of sit down, I mean, I guess full service element. And we're just learning how to do that with the staffing sort of issues that we've talked about. We want to make right. sure that we're given, you know, the highest level we can. And so day to day, what time, what time are you all? 11.30 to 4.30 okay. is, uh, is a good day to day. And uh, check our website because that's where closer to March 1st, we'll have a definite new schedule up. But um Usually it's a lunchtime situation, late lunch, and then on Saturday nights between May and November, we do uh, private ticketed vent, uh, dinners. Okay. And so we do those every Saturday night. Um, it's a three-course, three-paired drink, uh, fine dining dinner out at Makers. So, yeah, it's, it's quite a bit different than the lunch service. Okay. But right. And I was there for one of the it – it was a privately done evening right during the week but it was it was really nice i enjoyed it and the uh just the space there is really good so i, I imagine with the update it's even going to be snazzier yeah it'll be great and i mean the menu for that night was already pre right. ordained we knew it was just a fried chicken dinner at that time right. and so you know we get a little a little crazier uh, during, uh, <laughs> during the weekend ones. Oh well, I, I had no complaints about that about that fried chicken. So that let's talk about that a little bit because I wanted to ask you about that fried chicken. So it was cooler chicken. So cooler tell chicken. tell us what cooler chicken is. So, I, I will say it's good. Okay, good, good. <laughs> well, it, it's not it's not what everybody expects um, because fried chicken, I think, especially recently, has become this race to the top of crunch like it's it's about layers and levels of crunch and that's just not what old school fried chicken would have always been i mean if you could get it straight out of the skillet and eat it it could be but you got to think a skillet's only so big there's only a couple pieces coming out every 30 minutes yeah. right if you're doing it low and slow and you know beautiful skillet fried chicken so i grew up eating pressure fried chicken and a lot of people in my county for weddings and stuff they would hire out these two guys to fry chicken uh hooker and sparky those are Um, great names that was who i tell you what i would like to have fried chicken made by hooker and sparky it was (laughs) exceptional chicken and they would take these giant coolers and they would line them with foil and line them with bread and then just fried chicken and they had these big outdoor cast iron skillet fryers that were square and they would just fry chicken for hours before a wedding and load the coolers up and then tuck it in and go to the wedding and like that was I just remember it that way you know and it was and so then 
you know, you learn how to make chicken and then you watch it and there becomes a contest for the crunchiest. And I realized that's just not really how I like to eat fried chicken. I like it super tender, you know, like not fall off the bone, but I, I like it almost braised. Mm-hmm. And then if you fried it and seasoned it well, like you still get the, the good part of that fried skin. I don't know. I, and so that's what we do. We take giant coolers and line them with bread and aluminum foil and season the heck out of the chicken and then fry it a little bit ahead and let it steam in that cooler and then serve it up. Yeah, no, that's it, good. It's interesting. I um, heard a uh, old pit master uh, talking about doing uh, barbecue that way. That, they yeah. would, that, that he insisted the key to it was storing it in a cooler afterwards and letting it, that steam and heat, kind of finish, off, finish it off. 100%. I do it with my barbecue 100% of the time. I think it's, especially like shoulders or whole pig or something that you want to shred, right? And you know, you don't want a chicken to do it because it'll rest out and be too, but yeah, the cooler is the thing. I mean, it's just a, it's a wonderful health department and as big a fan of it. So you gotta, you gotta be careful and make sure you're following I feel following like the health department gets in the way of good food all the time. You know, they're trying to do their best. We got, we got inspected today and got a hundred. Oh, so well, well, congratulations. I'm, I'm very happy with them, but, but I mean, no, nah, it's, uh, but you just got to know your rules and... I mean, usually if you look at the list of the places that are kind of on the outs with, uh, with the health department, those are usually pretty good places, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard having real food around and keeping things that, you know, correctly. It's not hard at a chain restaurant to open up something right, and drop it into a fryer and then drop it into a warming basket and then keep it in the wrapper. You know, I mean, that, that's not a... It's almost hard to mess up. Yeah. In a, in a fast yeah, food. Yeah, so if I see a fast food place that's low on it, then I, that I avoid. <sighs> yeah, I avoid. <laughs> if, it's, if it's a real restaurant, yeah. then, that, then it kind of gets my attention, thinking, well, you know, that place might be pretty good. They might really be cooking in there. Yeah, there's, <laughs> right. there's something raw on the cutting board. You yeah, know, right. At least you know there was something wrong. <laughs> they actually have real food yeah. showing up. So you, you mentioned uh, to me before we hit the record button on here that you've had a little bit of a change your relationship with makers. So talk to me about that. I want to talk a little bit more about Star Star Hill. Yeah, uh, so literally in the last two weeks, um, I've become the full-time, uh, I think we're still working on a, a name yeah, too. An uh, official title? I, yeah, I don't to, know, director of culinary. Yeah, you need to give, make it as grand as you can. Yeah, make it grandiose and then I can, that way you have positions to give people below. Right, yeah, it looks something that, you know, looks good on, on the business card and but barely fits. But, you know, <laughs> chef, chef of Maker's Mark yeah. is, is uh, a very basic, you know, what it is. And I think that we're figuring out what it means because mm-hmm. there's a lot of hospitality that we can get into mm-hmm. that, is untapped. Uh, you so know. this is kind of a step towards expanding that, really. I think so. I think that you know the, everything. Everything about any of the distilleries doing something more is to further engage the customer, right? Sure. And and take them a little bit further down the rabbit hole of make it at a least full a spirit. full service destination. Yeah, exactly, and sort of engage you and and give well, you a reason to come back. And yeah. I will say, once you get to Maker's Mark. It, you know, you've got a captive audience. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not, they're not just dropping by somewhere else to get something. You're ready for a drink. You know, you're, yeah, you're going to be hungry on the ride home. 
So there's a couple of good reasons <laughs> to eat and drink when you're down there. Yeah. Um, but you know, Rob, Rob right now, our, I don't know what they, CDO, Chief Distillery Officer, I think is what his title is, but Samuels, Rob Samuels, sure. his goal is to sort of make the place of Maker's Mark one of the most culturally endearing um, of any brand mm-hmm. in the world. Like that's, that's well, his the, the facility is gorgeous. I, I was down there for the event that was around Christmas time. And of course it was in the evening. You got to walk through all the lights and everything. And that's really, it's really stunning. Yeah. They go hard on those lights. It's yeah. beautiful. Well, it's, <laughs> it was great. I mean, I'll, maybe I'll be disappointed when I go to normal time of the year, but it was really a, a, a really captivating scene. Well, and it's cool because that's a mostly locals. Uh, the two weeks ahead of that, we do events on uh, Saturday nights, two weeks in a row, and we get, this year was 12 or 1,400 people oh, that wow. come through for a free tour. We give everybody bread pudding and cider, and there's drinks, and like it's a, it's a big event, you know? When you think about Loretta, I don't know what the population is, but it's not 1,400. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> no, I mean, it's sort of a wide place in the road kind, yes. of, kind of thing. Other than makers, that's, that's what they've got. So. So, so it's just a, sort of laying the foundation for a bigger vision. Yeah, I think that Rob has a big vision for the, for the property. Um, you know, being part of it, it's a good opportunity to sort of be back around where I'm from. Uh, you know, it's a very interesting job to be able to get in such a rural area, mm-hmm. which is cool, I think. You know, I, uh, I've worked corporate for a number of years in Chicago. I was a research and development chef, and so... I did seven years of sort of corporate uh, research and development and, you know, the other side of cooking in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we're going to try to blend those things and, yeah. and see how we can show hospitality through food and drink, you know. So how do you incorporate the, the bourbon side of Makers, which is the big side? That's the, you know, that's, that's the 800-pound gorilla there, obviously. Right. That's what they're there for. But the important food side of it, how do you incorporate the bourbon into what you're doing there? I, I'm a big believer that good goes with good. And it's a super simplified way of looking at something when it comes to pairings, because people love to talk about pairings sure. and love to go super intricate as to why this goes with this and this doesn't. I don't buy into that too much, right? I, I think that I cook the food as well as I possibly can and put it with drinks made with the best possible ingredients. And, and you, almost you're always- You're not gonna worry about it. it. Not as much as you might think. Right. I just truly, you know, and maybe it's because by this point my cooking is, I mean, I live in Bargetown, you know? I live and breathe and smell and, you know, drink and cook with, but not that much. I mean, I, I probably cook with bourbon less than most, most chefs mm-hmm. in Kentucky. Um, I like to finish with it, but you know, I just think, yeah, they, they, good things complement each other usually. Right. And it's not to get around the sort of detail-oriented sure, stuff. No, because I, we do dinners every year where we go deep on exactly why everything is with everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, on those weekend fine dining dinners, I cook 
probably six or seven different cultures worth of food. You know, I don't stick to just Southern. I've eaten more tortillas in my life than I have cornbread. Mm -hmm. Like it just, I have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, at my house, so, we absolutely have more tortillas than we do You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like it, but that's truly, that's authentic. Mm -hmm. It just, uh, it's a different type. Well, and I think this is a conversation, I've, uh, a recurring conversation on the podcast is what makes Kentucky food, Kentucky food. Mm -hmm. And usually we get to the conclusion that it's the ingredients that make, that make it. And that's one of the things we're talking about. Uh, make, where do the ingredients for bourbon come from? The, the more they come from Kentucky, the more authentically Kentucky it is. Absolutely. The same for food. And, uh, you know, all, all Southern food is an amalgamation of, of different sources. That's, that's an ongoing proposition. We got yeah, different experiences. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're just bringing your experiences to the table. I mean, we had John T. Edge in one time and I was making them beans and cornbread. But I had made hoe cakes and I'd made them real lacy and I didn't realize I kind of made tortilla. Oh, yeah. Just very, you know, right. loosely. And he's eating it and he goes, I really like these Mexican beans or something. And I was like, I appreciate that very much. You know, I was like, it's country beans. Well, sure. I mean, I growing up, yeah. growing up, we would have soup beans and cornbread. Yep. You know, I, I'm from Eastern Kentucky and that was a, a common, you know, at least once a week yeah. kind of thing. You have, you have soup beans and cornbread. I mean, you take refried beans and tortillas, that's the same thing. Yeah, we're both putting onions on it. We're both putting something with a little bit of spice if we can on it. We're both eating it with a corn-based mm -hmm. sort of secondary. Like, there's a reason, right? Your body craves that, you know? It's like the three sisters or whatever in, when growing uh, in Mexican cuisine, mm -hmm. right? Squash, beans, and corn, you know? And how the reason those things go so well together. Yeah, it's... It's terroir. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned John T. Edge. I want to talk a little bit about your appearance on, on his TV oh, yeah. show. Yeah. So you were, he came up to, and folks on Hodgenville, not too far from here. Right, right. Birthplace of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. He just called me actually and said, hey, where's that cheeseburger place you told me about? And <laughs> we started from that and went from there. Yeah. Um, so t tell me, tell me a little bit about how that pr pr uh, proceeded. So you went to, is it La Hayes? La, it? Yeah, La Hayes. La Hayes. Um, okay. And I always called it La Haas. That's what it looks like. <laughs> and then so I got it figured out. But yeah. La Hayes is it. Um, I've been going for the last couple of years, and we'll order twenty or thirty or forty or fifty at a time ahead of time. Don't tell them. Well, call ahead. <laughs> call and ahead. And say please a lot, but. Right. Uh, but that was uh, how we got to know the, the family. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, it's my favorite restaurant in the state probably. I think because they deliver on a promise. It's yeah. Now I've got to get you to Clay County so right. you can eat at Pat's, what used to be Pat's Pool Room. They call it Pat's Snack Bar now because they don't have any pool tables anymore. But it was, it's the burger place Great. where I grew up. And I think it, when I saw the segment, what I thought of is that's like Pat. Great. I can't yeah. wait. I you mean, know, you get these little small town hamburger joints and they're around. I mean, I think every place had one at one time. Yeah. But there's some of them that are still, still clicking along. Now, would y'all have chili buns? We do have chili buns. Okay. Yeah, chili buns is kind of a Easter, southeastern Kentucky kind of thing. So, Very much. Uh, London, Manchester, Clay County is where I grew up. And uh, Corbin, 
down that area. Yeah. yeah chili buns is uh, is a big thing. Because John T actually turned me on to the chili bun uh, thing. Yeah. Before I told him about Lehays, and we're, we're going to have to get him in Eastern Kentucky. I he'd think. love it. I, I think he actually, yeah, he, yeah, we. He's a big fan of Appalachia, and I mean, we just got back from Taste of the South mm-hmm. down at Blackberry Farm last weekend, and he hosted it, and a lot of it was Appalachia. I mean, with Sean Brock opening his new right, restaurant. Sean Brock's and, got his, and Sean Brock's supposed to be doing a podcast on focuses at least some on Appalachian food. Yep, and so within forth, so. within his giant building, he's yeah. going to have a podcast studio. So. Yeah. It's no, probably a more elaborate setup than I've got here today. That's but. not going to be any better. It'll be, it, it's going to do the same thing. Well, it's going to do the exact I, same thing. I rely on high quality guests. As well. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, and so then you all went, you went to a gas station too, is that right? Well, gas station. So Jake's 150 um, yeah. sausage. So the story that I know is the butcher that I used to work for lost his sausage recipe in a card game. Nice. And it may or may not have become the recipe <laughs> at Jake's 150. Either way, if it didn't happen that way, I still love the people that do it. It's a, it's a good quality. I, they make it in-house. I have an old friend from Mississippi who said the definition of an apocryphal story is a story that if it's not true, it should be. <laughs> so. Yeah, and if you had met these characters, you'd be like even more so. These are guys that would eat raw hamburger meat out of the case. So yeah. Like just some wild dudes and... uh. But, just tartar. Yeah, 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 exactly. I didn't know at the time. <laughs> Oof. But, uh, you know, they, so Jake's is one of those, like, local suppliers that since we moved back from Bar, or to Bargetown, uh, we've been buying from them for five years and just putting their stuff, their gut sausage. They do natural casing gut sausage hot. It is unbelievable on a smoker. I mean, it's, it's world-class sausage mm-hmm. when you... Treat it right, you know what I mean? Sure. And uh, yeah, I was just so excited that, you know, that's probably been my biggest excitement of coming back home is being able to show off the area a little bit, show off a couple of the other people doing good things because part of when you come back, right, there's always a little chip on the shoulder uh, from Kentucky. I mean, you know, there's only so many jokes about, there's only three states below us or something, right? We get to make fun of. So like there's, maybe it's not three, it depends on the day of the week, but like, you know, it's, we're at the bottom of the list about a lot of stuff and uh, it's cool to show off the, the positives. Well, in places like that, that, that have special recipes and, you know, that you, you drive by and you would never expect them to have something first class, but there are all kinds of places like that. And I think that Personally, those are the those are the kind of places I love to see highlighted and hope keep going because you know it. That's where it's interesting to get something. It's not it's not interesting to go to the grocery store and right, right. Get, well, you know. I mean, anytime it's something that somebody has something to say about, right? Like you know, they have they take their own point of view right. and impose and you've got it. a you've got a real person making real food. It, it changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just does. And you know, I can't criticize the way big food works because. It's really smart. A lot of it is. But it'd be yeah. nice if somehow you could have the two things combined, but, right? But we would be, I mean, we all rely on it. I mean, we go to Kroger all the sure. time. And, you know, you, you, that's, what, that's what you live off of. But our, our lives, especially our, our culinary lives, would be so much the poorer if we didn't have those kinds of places. Absolutely. 
And I mean, the best, the best fried chicken in Lexington uh, is at the Save-A-Lot on Southland Drive. Oh, I've eaten there many times. <laughs> you know, and it's, and uh, a lot of people don't believe it, but they will when they go, Yeah. you know, and, uh, and it's great. And that's, yeah, you know, Save-A-Lot's a chain, but, but there aren't any other places that make that, that fried chicken. Not in that way, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a white beans and hoe cake at Thoroughbred Lounge guy. Yeah, okay. That's my, <laughs> that's my Lexington lunch uh, gotcha. drop-in. Well, next time you're in Lexington, give me a holler. We'll, All right. Uh, we'll, go, we'll go grab a bite. And I, I'd just like to say for the record that uh, you're wearing a Lexington Athens of the West t-shirt right now. So. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. I am wearing that. <laughs> you, f- you felt drawn to it. Hey, today. I, I uh, my mom's a UK grad. I, I bleed blue. I mean, I went to my first game in about 15 years two weeks ago. I took oh, my wife. Yeah. She's a Hoosier, and she went to Purdue, and so I had to break her of the. Well, my wife's thigh. from Tennessee, so okay. I, you know, yeah, these, they, these they don't happen. know. These things happen. They just don't know ahead of time. <laughs> and uh, took her to her first Wildcat game, and we beat Missouri. It was it was awesome. So, yeah, I think Lexington's food scene too. Um, even if I just look at the ethnic food. Like was what because that's what interests me more. Sure. Um, oh, it's 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 outstanding. Really, for the size of the city. I mean, you know, the Mexican food beyond Ramirez. And I think Ramirez is oh, Ramirez stellar. is so good. I think they're great. <laughs> so good, but there's so many. Oh, you go to really, Alexander really, Drive yeah. in that area. There are tons of places, most of which I've not eaten at, just because there's so many of them. Yep. And, I've been pushing myself pretty hard whenever and, I come. And to there's town. a little food truck that operates there on Versailles Road, uh, in front of Imperial Liquors. That yeah. used to be the, the, the pharmacy. And that place is fantastic. You just pull in there almost any hour of the night. Yep. They'll come up, take your order, bring you fantastic food. I yeah. mean, it's just amazing. It, it really is. Yeah, they're doing a really good job. Uh, and, and the new chef at Lockbox is doing so well. Cody, mm-hmm. I've, yeah. he is crushing it. I went, we went the other night. Um, I was in town for something. And we stopped just to have a, a cocktail and say hi and ended up having four dishes <laughs> really quick. And it was really good. Yeah, lockbox I mean, is good. Yeah. It's really good. Now, I think the, the Lexington food scene, I mean, Louisville has advantage just obviously because of size. But I think Lexington is, is doing uh, astoundingly well. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, and I think it's only going to get better. I think it's, it's really growing. And obviously, the... Bourbon, tour, bourbon tourism has, has driven a lot of that. And you got a place, I mean, you've got makers here. Uh, we've got Woodford there with Weta uh, working there. And so it's nice to see these distilleries cluing in to, to top chefs like you all. Well, we, we appreciate that they are. You know, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, it, be, it beats the alternative of nobody yeah, caring. I mean, that, it's, caring. it's good for everybody. So I, want, I also wanted to touch, touch with you on your top chef up here. So talk to me about how all that played out. Man, that was, it was great. Uh, first of all, the people were outstanding uh, from the talent, you know, that everybody was like, how was Padma? Padma is Padma. She was great. <laughs> she was great. Maybe we'll and get her on the podcast. Sometime. Yeah, I'll, I'll text her. We'll see yeah, if please, we can. Please do. I might have, yeah. Tom was, sh- sh- I, saying Tom is weird. Chef was... <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I knew him about an hour, and then we took a ride on the Kubota. I went to show him the lake, you know, where all the water source is, and we came, became fast friends, and uh, it, it was really remarkable. And then, you know, I, I, I messed up a little bit. We had a chef give notice right when we found out we were going to do the filming. Oh. 
and left two weeks before the filming. And then we ended up catering for the entire shoot staff as well as being on the show. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I got close to biting off more than I could chew. Yeah. I, it didn't, no. it all ended up well. Sure. But it was, because uh, they, they, they would bring 150 people. Oh, wow. To film that show. That's, that's cr- how much that's, staff. That's crazy. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was 125 first day and 150 the second yeah. day. I run a leaner operation with the podcast. So. <laughs> hey, good. I can cook for one. This is. It, it was. It was. Um, but it was awesome. They were. They were kind. Um, I think that they really showed the state in a complimentary yeah, light. I, I don't so. think there were any. You know, there was no low blow jokes about Kentucky <laughs> cuisine, and there there could have been. You know, easily it could have made it a different sort of season, but um, no, it was a really, really good experience. I, I think it was, it was a good acknowledgement, sort of outside endorsement. Not that you know, not that we need to have outside endorsement, but nonetheless, it's nice when you get that kind of acknowledgement. For and, sure. And uh, you know, from and I know it's sort of it's celebrity TV kind of stuff, but still, it's it's people with big bucks coming from you know, big time places saying, hey, this, this is really good. Right. And, you know, we can stand on our own, but nonetheless, it's nice to have validation. Well, validation and just, you know, um, a little bit of a push for the small business. Right. I mean, just, you know, most restaurants are small business mm-hmm. and anything to get people to go out and get excited about eating at a local restaurant is, is huge. And he- so... Have you all seen, uh, did you see a, a substantial bump come out of that at, at Makers? You know, with Makers, it's hard to tell because you're talking about a place that gets 150 plus thousand visitors a year uh, already. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the way the bourbon sort of boom has been going, it's hard to tell what the difference of year over year is just year over year. Or is it a TV show you were on? Or right. is it a recipe you changed? Or is it, it's really wild. Um, but, but the it's growth- the, It's the ham that you add to the hot brown. Hey, the, the growth <laughs> is there. I don't know why it's there, but it, it keeps, yeah, the growth year over year has been pretty, pretty crazy the last three years. So looking at it from, from a maker's perspective, um, you know, we've had such a bourbon boom, bourbon tourism. People keep saying, hey, it, it can't keep going, it can't keep going. Does it look like to you it's gonna keep going? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it looks like that to anybody involved in it almost. Mm-hmm. And it's just, because the thing is, it was so underserved. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, you know, I don't think anybody expects that you're gonna live in that headspace, but right now you can't find age-stated whiskey anymore from all the people that do bourbon that way. Uh, you can't, you know, it, it's, the prices have been driven for bourbon quite high in the last little bit. Um, I still think it's a very, call me crazy, but when I look at the other spirits in the world, I think we're pretty lucky mm-hmm. to pay what we pay. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, Scotch fans definitely don't have, you know, wine fans don't have, don't have it easy. Um, a lot of different spirits. So yeah, I mean, I think bourbon has staying power. Um, without a doubt, because the, the reality is too, it's not a global, it's just becoming a global sort of spirit, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I, you know, like I said, I'm two weeks in at Makers, so I don't wanna 
start quoting facts and things like that. But, <laughs> but I mean, they weren't even selling outside of the state of Kentucky, I don't think, until the early 90s. Yeah. I don't think. Like, yeah, I, I, my understanding is it was a fairly limited. Out of Kentucky. A fairly limited. You, you couldn't, uh, like, you can go to Rite Aid and get a bottle, but you couldn't go to Indiana and get one. Right, yeah, or, New, or is, certainly not New York. No, and this is in the 80s, you know, yeah. and uh, so 30 years. I mean, you know, just wild to think, you know, Australia, just as a market, there might not be that many people, but they are massive fans. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know. Well, still, I mean, it's getting in everywhere. I mean, yeah. you look, you go to an airport, I mean, I you go to an airport in Europe, and you'll just walk through if they, you know, sometimes they'll force you through the, the shops, the mm-hmm. duty-free shops. But the amount of scotch that they'll have versus how much bourbon they have is crazy. Yeah. And so, I mean, the room for growth there is massive. 100%. I mean, and I think sometimes we forget, too, that we're in, we're in it. We're not in the, the eye because it's not calm. We're literally in the industry right now. And if it's a storm, like... It seems like it's turbulent. It seems like it's out of control and it's like going, well, we're not a very big state. Mm-hmm. We're not, and even without, I mean, I, I, somebody told me the number of people involved with distilleries completely in Kentucky is 150,000 ish, mm-hmm. 156 maybe, something yeah. like that. That's it. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe it's not as out of control as some people want to throw around because. Right. We just happen to see it all, right? You know. Plus, if you if you think about the fact that it was not, the growth really came out of not simply an average spot in the industry, but really a low place, because it had it had really gotten low right. and then shot out like a rocket. Right. Yeah, I don't think you know. I don't. I don't. I don't know what diet is going to change people from. Yeah. Or whatever the modern day equivalent thing to get you to stop. Well, and I think too that the the infrastructure of tourism that's been built around it now, what you've done at Makers, what you see at Woodford, what you see at Castle and Key, mm-hmm. uh, with their complete renovation there, uh, and Bullet with their new with their new place. I mean, just just pick a place, uh, the Bards and Bourbon Company. Yeah, the you know, Bard right Alexander. There there. And, the... and you know if 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 Dixon ends up getting his pyramids right, you know, right. down, you know, I mean, who knows, who knows what it'd be. Bourbon train. But, but it's, that's something that never existed before. Right. And I saw uh, that Buffalo Trace said that they had like a 35% increase, I believe, over the year before in visitors. I'm sure. To the distillery. I mean, they just put, I think, a $1.2 billion investment in at Buffalo Trace, yeah. you know? And I mean, everybody's, that's not, know, that's not small change. No, and I mean, Kentucky, you know, at the end of the day, nobody's going to get coal back. Nobody wants it back. It's, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, well, no, it's, it's not, not going to come back that way. I tobacco's mean, I, is not coming back. And I, I grew up in an area that relied on coal and tobacco. You know, yeah. those, that's, when I was growing up, everybody grew tobacco, and, and almost everybody, and my parents were teachers, and if you weren't a teacher, then you probably raised tobacco. A lot of them did, I and mean, we had tobacco on our farm. Yep. And, uh, or they worked in coal mines. And, you know, those jobs aren't going to be like they were. Yeah, it's not coming back. And so, I mean, you know, unless there's going to be some sort of uh, crop that, you know, gets, gets allowed to be grown. I mean, it's just people can't go back to that agricultural 
straight up, I don't think making it, you know, and, and a service-based economy is what it's going to be. And I think tourism's it. And that goes back to just the workforce. We need people to, you know, be excited about and be told that it's a valid position to be in these hospitality positions, you know? Sure, sure. And, and you tell us that there's plenty of room for people to step in if that's what they want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about the bourbon boom. We talked about bourbons being hard to find. What are your what are your recommendations? I asked Dixon this question. So what are your recommendations? You've got a hundred dollar bill. You're going to stop at a you're going to stop at the store and you have to buy stuff that that's actually going to be there. What what do you what do you tell people they should pick up? For a hundred bucks, I might be able to get three bottles. It depends on how gougy they're going to be. You can spend it any way you want. Just think, assume retail. But in, but in my world, it's um, McKenna 10. Uh, it's a Wild Turkey 101 Rye Leader and a Maker's Cask. Okay. Because they're all going to be on the shelf. Well, and that's the thing. Maybe... Maybe McKenna won't now. I'm a little jaded it, on that. It depends. Yeah, you can catch it. I've got a little bit of it downstairs. I'll show you. You know, I, <laughs> I, I think it's a very good value, you know, thing. I think I got to have a cash strength and in that arena mm -hmm. with bookers going to 70 or 80 bucks or whatever. Yeah. I, think, I think the maker's cast at 110 proof is where I, I sit. And then for a mixer, I like that. That wild turkey raw, um, I just think it's a good, well-made. And I mean, I could probably go through about ten versions of this. You know, I mean, I, from every I like J.W. Dant at times, or what is the? Yeah, I. <laughs> now I'm really thinking about it really no, hard, I, but I'm not going to stop you. It's... But yeah, um, that'd probably be my my three that I get for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, if I was getting two, something barrel strength and something Russell Reserve, maybe. I feel like there's some pretty cool picks. Yeah, I was going to ask, would you go the pick route? Because you can find those pretty readily. Yeah, they're usually mispriced. I mean, because they don't cost anymore to buy the barrel that way. And so when you get it and it's more than 15, 20% of what like the actual barrel would have called, it's a little bit of a bummer for me. Um, because you know it's it's valuing your palate quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Jamie Ferris is one of my real good friends, and he runs a liquor store down in Mississippi. Um, and like his picks are absolutely worth every penny. You know, because his relationships with the people he's picking with. Yeah. So it's this big trade, right? If I know who it is, mm -hmm. and if they know, if somebody knows Drew. And wants to go do a Willet pick, you probably have a different pick yeah. than if you don't. Yeah. And so, you know, that's uh that's why I like I like Maker's private select pick scenario uh in that because it's analytical. I, I don't know if you've been down there for it, but you don't pick one of three barrels that have been pre-picked. Right. You condition one. Yeah, you, you pick the stay. Yeah, right. and so that's kinda of, that's interesting. Um, I like my, you know, obviously like my recipe of that, but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's about 80 bucks. So it doesn't leave me much for anything else. Yeah. Right. Um, no, I mean, unfortunately there's not any more $10 bottles that you can get 10 of and spend a hundred dollars. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I think almost the idea of anything under $20 is gone. Mm -hmm. 
you know, they've gotten rid of the Heaven Hill six year. Uh, maybe they still keep the green label and I think that might be worth, you know, but it's still probably 20 bucks now. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, under 20 is almost just a, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know what is there anymore, hardly. Oh, no, I hear people, I hear people talking about the, uh, the uh, Evan Williams bottled and bond. Okay, and the JTS Brown is a Heaven Hill, really, and they only sell it in Kentucky. Yeah. And I don't even know if they sell it outside of Bargetown much. Like, I don't yeah. see it hardly I think anywhere. I, I've seen it in Lexington. I don't think it's like a $14 bottle. Yeah. But. So there are a few floating around. But, yeah. But, and I, you know, I'd, I'd be fine with Turkey 101 or something. Sure. You know, that would be, I, I wouldn't have any, any complaints. No, absolutely. Along those lines. And, you know, used to, I would, you might could throw in like a Weller Antique, but they doubled the price, so. It's, yeah, it's not because you don't love it. It's but, just because, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, 50 versus 26 or whatever it was. And that's, you know, a little slower to pull the trigger on it. So. Well, and it's just such a bummer for them that this uh, sort of went because 26 wasn't enough. No. In, but, re in reality, but we all got conditioned. You got used to it. To it. And they never expected to see that you just couldn't find it. Right. I mean, yeah, 107? Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean... I never just, thought about it not being on a shelf. Yeah, so huh. I mean, then it was just... And now, now you don't find Special Reserve on the shelf. It's just not there. Well, that's something I didn't know. And I just found out that was one of the coolest facts. Since 1983, every bottle of Maker's Mark that's been made has been on allocation. That's crazy. It really is crazy. Which, I mean, it's obviously on store shelves. So it's not like it's... Uh, yeah, it's not hard. You oh, can't. Well it's not hard antique. to find. Right. Yeah, it's not that. But that store is already yeah before they ran out. They've committed to it on every bottle since '83. Well, you know, I mean, when 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 Keeneland kicks in, oh, Keeneland's and, still their number one. Yeah, number one you know, customer, first customer ever, and number one. Yeah, I mean, it's, cool. it's kind of the. I guess it's the official bottle of tailgating it. Keeneland, so. No, nobody drinks out of the tailgate. <laughs> nobody. That's right. That doesn't happen at no, all. No, 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 no. Well, I appreciate you having me out. I've enjoyed it. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad you came by, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Yeah, I look forward to uh, seeing what directions that Makers uh, takes. Maybe I can round up enough people to bring them out here. We can we can pick a night, and you can cook something amazing for Awesome, them. man. I'd love to. It'd I'd be love great. to. Thanks a lot. Cheers. You can find links to Chef Newman Miller's social media in show notes, as well as links to the Smith-Harrison House information page and information about the reference TV appearances. Star Hill Provisions at Maker's Mark has also finished its renovations, and you should be able to taste Chef Miller's tasty creations there daily. Please hit the subscribe button to the Eat Kentucky podcast to be notified of future episodes, and please leave a five-star rating. It really helps others find the podcast. You can follow my other explorations of Kentucky food on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I would love for you to visit the new Eat Kentucky Patreon at patreon.com slash eatkentucky where you can support the podcast and receive bonuses and previews. The Eat Kentucky theme is by Art Mize. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at eatkentucky at gmail.com. If you're looking to buy or sell a home in the Lexington area, I'm a realtor with Keller Williams Bluegrass Realty. I would love to talk to you. Until next time, this is Alan Cornett.